0: This morning I'd like to invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Join me in the book of Revelation this morning, chapter 22. It'll be the last book in your Bible, the last page of your Bible. And today we're going to look at some of the last verses of the Bible in a sermon entitled God's Final Invitation. God's Final Invitation. We are no strangers to this passage, but follow with me In Revelation chapter 22, verse 16 and following. Of course, these are the words of John. And if you carry the red letter edition, you'll note that verse number 16 is written in red, which are the words that Jesus himself said. So, verse 16 says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And the spirit and bride say, come. And let him that hears say, come. And let him that is thirsty, come. And whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add to these things... "'God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. "'And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, "'God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city "'and from the things that are written in this book. "'He which testifies these things says, "'Surely I come quickly. Amen. "'Even so come, Lord Jesus.'" The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. So may God add his blessings today as we look at God's final invitation. There was a little boy in a shopping mall standing at the bottom of an escalator. And he was intently focused on that handrail of the escalator as it moved in unison with the steps. And a man saw this little fellow and watched as he patiently focused on that handrail. And the man thought the little boy may be lost. And he comes up to him and he said, son, are you lost? And without ever taking his eye off the handrail, the little boy said, no, sir, I'm not lost. I'm just waiting for my chewing gum to come back around. Well, that little fella is the epitome of patience. And what it means to wait and to be patient. When we think about patience in the Scripture, it is indeed a virtue. The epitome in the Scripture of patience for our model is that of God Himself. And I believe of all of the attributes of God, perhaps the one that is, that is perhaps noted less than any of the others is the long-suffering and the patience of God. Now, all of God's attributes, we would say they are infinite, meaning that uh, there is no end to the attributes of God. We don't have the vocabulary. We don't have the ability to describe God in His fullness. But we do know that the Scripture gives us some of the characteristics to help us to know who He is and what He is like. For example, we know that uh, God is, as I mentioned, He is infinite, meaning that He has no beginning and He has no ending. He is forever the same, the Bible says. He's always, has been God and always will be God. Another one of his attributes is his immutability, meaning that he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. By the way, aren't you thankful for that? Amen? That he never changes. God is omnipotent. That means that he has all power. God is omnipresent. That means that he is everywhere. You cannot go anywhere without God's presence. David said, if I ascend into the clouds, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at one time. God is also omniscient, meaning that God knows everything. So in all of the attributes of God that we could begin to name, And that's just a few. His sovereignty is another, meaning that nothing happens outside God's control. But of all of his attributes that we could name, perhaps the one we talk about least is his patience or his long-suffering. Let me give you some passages that will bless your heart. Listen to what Nehemiah said. Thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, listen to this, slow to anger and of great kindness. Isaiah 30. The Lord longs to be gracious to you. He waits on high to have compassion on you. Don't you love the mental picture that that draws in your mind? That God waits. He waits with patience to show compassion to you. Listen to 2 Peter 3. God is not slow about his promises as some men count slowness. But he is patient toward you, not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Now, God in his patience gave Noah 120 years to build the ark and to preach about the impending deluge that was going to come. Now, I would say that is a picture of a long-suffering God, right? That would wait and stay his hand of judgment for 120 years. In fact, you remember the oldest man in the Bible was a man by the name of Methuselah. And the name Methuselah means when he is gone, it will come, speaking of the flood. And God was saying when Methuselah dies, that that the flood is going to come. So once again, God demonstrates his patience and his long-suffering. And he allows Methuselah to live 969 years, the oldest person in all of Scripture, which pictures the the incredible long-suffering and the patience of our God. Well, the New Testament says about Noah building that ark that the patience of God kept waiting in the days that Noah built the ark. So although God is patient, though he is long-suffering, his patience is not without end. It ended, finally, in the days of Noah. God's patience ended in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there will come a day when the patience of God is exhausted with the human family and God's long-suffering will come to an end. But up until that time, God faithfully extends the invitation for all of the world to come and be saved. In fact, I would submit to you that the entire Bible is a book filled with invitations for men and women and boys and girls to come and be saved. Listen, do you remember the day that you were saved? Do you remember the conditions, maybe Bible school or Sunday school or someone came to your home or you came forward in a church service? It had to be the sweetest day of all of life. Isn't that right? The day you became a Christian. You became a Christian because God waited for you. And he waited and he waited. Aren't you thankful that you didn't die before you got saved? Amen? That's the patience of God. That's the long-suffering of God. You know, I'm looking forward to the return of Christ, but I'll tell you what, I'm so glad he didn't come back before I got saved. Aren't you? He waited, and he waited, and he waited. And even today, he continues to wait. So God has a redeeming plan for the world, and in his long-suffering, he's waiting and waiting and waiting, but one of these days, he will wait no more. His redeeming plan begins to unfold in the book of Genesis and and just unfolds page after page after page all the way until you get to this final book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, which is God's final word to mankind. Now you remember the context for Revelation. John has been banished to the tiny little island of Patmos, a place where they mined salt. And there in Patmos, John was given this final revelation of God to write this final word of God to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And of all that you find in the book of Revelation, those, those letters to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea, all of those churches of Revelation, you find later the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, the Antichrist, The second advent of the Lord Jesus, of all that you find in the book of Revelation, the focus that we're going to drill down on for the balance of our time is on this final page, the final few verses, and even the final words before John, once and for all, puts down his pen and closes the canon of Scripture. God gives one more invitation. It is as though God in His sovereign grace would say to John, John, before you roll up that parchment, tell mankind about it one more time. John, before you get this parchment smuggled off the island, put down your pen and give man one more word, one more invitation of how I'm waiting for men and women and boys and girls to come to me by faith. You see, when God created us, the Bible says He created us from the dirt of the ground. He created Adam that way, blew into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, and Adam became a living soul. Our soul is who we really are. Your soul will live for all eternity. My body one day will die and it will be put in the ground and it will return back to dust from whence it was made. But my soul will live forever and ever and ever. And your soul will live forever. Now listen to me well. If you know Jesus as your personal Savior, your soul will live with God in heaven for all eternity. But if you don't know Christ, your soul will live eternally separated from God in a place called hell. Nothing is more frightening to me than to think about that or to think about people who would resign themselves to that kind of eternal banishment from the presence of God. So, your soul is the most valuable possession. The Bible said, What would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or, What would a man give in exchange for his soul? So, the intrinsic value. Of your soul is worth this world And a million more just like it Your soul is eternal And it cannot place A temporary price tag on something That is eternal So one final time Before the Bible is closed The revelation is sealed God says to John Give one more invitation So that's what I want us to look at For the next little while First of all I want you to note That it's an invitation to be saved Look in verse 17 Three different times, John uses the word come. Look at this. The spirit and the bride say, you may want to circle these, come. Let him that hears say, come. Let him that is thirsty, come. And whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Three different times, John says, come, come. That comes from a Greek word. That means to move from one place to another. So God would say to us, move out of darkness and move into light. Move out of and off of a road that leads to death and get on a road that leads to life. So when John gives us invitation and he says, come, God is inviting all of humanity to come to him and to be saved. So from the first book in the Bible to the last book, God's invitation is to come, Genesis 6, I'd already referenced it about the great flood. The Bible says that the wickedness of mankind had become so pervasive that God said, I will destroy from a man from the face of the earth, man whom I have created. And it grieved God at his heart. But Noah, the Scripture says, found grace in the sight of the Lord. By the way, that's the first time grace is mentioned in the Bible. Did you know that? And then all the way through the Scripture... You find God and His grace is inviting men to come to Him, come to Him, come to Him. And finally, after that 120-year period of building the ark, God says, Noah, get yourself and your family in the ark. The Bible says that God sealed Noah and his family into the ark, and they were the only ones that survived that global flood because they came. They answered that invitation, and they got off the, off the road that would lead to death, and they came, and they walked the road that would lead to life. In this case, right up the plank into the ark. And by the way, that ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? That ark is a picture of Christ, and they came, placed their faith in that boat, and when all of the world was covered with water, Noah and his family were spared because they answered God's invitation. Do you know after 400 years of slavery, God said to Moses in Exodus 3, these words, Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So all through the Bible, God's given men an invitation. One of my favorite passages comes from Isaiah 1. Listen to this. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Isn't that great? Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What an invitation from God. Another is Isaiah 55. Listen to this. Everyone that is thirsty, come to the waters. He that has no money, come and buy without money and without price. The psalmist again says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what the Lord has done for my soul. Hosea 6. Come and let us return to the Lord, and He will heal us, and He will bind us up. Jesus Himself said this, Come to me all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The woman who met Jesus at Jacob's well. She goes back to her village and given an invitation, she said, oh, come and see a man that told me all the things that I've ever done. Is not this the Christ? Listen to what Paul told Timothy. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. You just can't read the Bible Without being overwhelmed of God's invitation over and over and over for men to be saved. God makes the plea. Lost come to Him. The broken come to Him. The lonely come to Him. The discouraged come to Him. The defeated come to Him. And He gives us the abundant life. And finally, as you come to the very last book in the Bible, on the very last page of the Bible... In the very last paragraph, and the last words of the Bible, you find God following this same pattern, come, come, come. Whoever will, whoever's thirsty, whoever's broken, lost, God says, come, as if John, God says to John, just one more time, make it plain. So then he says in verse number 17, look at this. He says, the spirit and the bride... Say, Come. Now, listen, the Holy Spirit, and and, and I know that, that you already know this if you've been a Christian very long, that the Holy Spirit draws us to God, draws people to God, draws people to Christ. Remember, the Bible says, No man comes to the Father unless the Spirit draws him. So God gives the Holy Spirit to draw. People to himself. So the Holy Spirit is always working to draw people to the Father. Also, the Holy Spirit uses circumstances to draw people to the Father. Sometimes He uses the sickness or the death of a loved one. Sometimes He uses a crisis in our lives. Sometimes He uses blessings. Sometimes He uses other people. But the Holy Spirit is always working to draw people. To God, Whether it is through other people Or through circumstances Or through the Bible How many times have you just been reading the scripture And you know man that right there was exactly what I needed today That is the Holy Spirit Continually to draw us In this love relationship with Jesus Christ So God's invitation is He's drawing and he's drawing and he's drawing And he's inviting people to come to him So John says The Spirit says come Then he says The Bride The Spirit and the bride say, Come. Well, let me ask you, church, who is the bride? The bride is the church, right? The bride is the church, the body of Christ. Jesus is the bridegroom, and the church is the bride of Christ. And one day the bridegroom will return and be wed to the church, the bride of Christ, and take us to the marriage supper of the Lamb, where forever we will be with God in glory. So all of the work of the church, now listen, all of the work of the church is the bride working to influence and inspire people to come to faith in Jesus. So listen, when our praise team sings or our choir sings, they're not just singing songs or they're not just singing words. What are they doing? They're allowing the Holy Spirit to use them to so inspire people that people's heart would be changed and that they would come to Christ. When we give of our tithe and offering as a church, we're not just giving out of a financial responsibility. Of course not. We are giving because we believe in our giving that God can take what little we give, whatever that widow's mite might be like, and God can take that little that we give and he can use it to build a family life center that'll be a testimony for years to come, a testimony to God, where our community, to our community, where, where folk would know they can come. And have a relationship with God. Or support missionaries with our offerings or the cooperative program. And all that we do when you teach Sunday school. And I know some of you are doing that online and you're doing that through Zoom right now. And I so appreciate you remaining in close contact with your class and, and the youth and our children and things like that. But we're not just teaching a lesson or giving a talk. What we're trying to do is inspire and to disciple And to help people grow in their faith so they can in turn go out and help others grow in their faith. So that more and more people would be drawn to Christ and respond to this invitation that God gives. Because there will be a day when the invitation will be over. That God will say, just as he did when he sealed Noah in the ark, just as he did when Lot got out of Sodom, that the time for invitation is over. So right now, all that we do as a church family, as the bride of Christ, is to see people get saved, right? We pray for our family that might be lost. We pray for our friends, our acquaintances, our neighbors, people that we work with who are lost. And we get burdened about their soul and where they're going to spend eternity. We support missionaries all around the world. Again, we're putting effort and time and energy and finances into a family life center that we can continue to minister through sports ministry or through recreation ministries or through feeding ministries and those kinds of things that we can reach out into our community because we know God is waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for one more to be saved. Do you know as of June of this year, our Southern Baptist Convention has over 6,000, actually over 6,600, foreign and domestic missionaries. Imagine what an army that is. Over 6,600 missionaries sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our Southern Baptist seminaries have 23,000 ministers and Christian workers that's being trained to go into the fields that are ripe to harvest. Our churches and the Southern Baptist Convention reach 30 different races and ethnicities, from Korean to Chinese to uh, Native American to Filipino to African American and other races and ethnicities all around the world. We have planted, when I say we, I'm talking about our Southern Baptist Convention, over 550 churches in North America last year. Last year we gave a get this number in your mind if you're listening, say Amen. 157 million dollars for foreign missions, digging wells, sending missionaries, sending food, relieving suffering around. 157 million dollars to the foreign field 61 million dollars for North American missions do you know the Baptist disaster relief has 51,000 days volunteer days where they have served because of a natural disaster imagine 51,000 volunteer days. 2.2 million meals have been served for disaster relief. In our Southern Baptist Convention, we have 7 over 7,000 at-risk children in residential care. All of those numbers that I throw out to you this morning, that's to let you know you won't hear that on the news. Because that doesn't make news, only the bad stuff seems to make news. You won't read that in the news, or you won't hear that on the news, but I want you to know, and I give you those numbers to say, listen, God, thank God, by the way, He is at work all around this world, amen? I mean, we may be focused, and to some degree, getting a little distracted about COVID-19 and about the situation in our country with the riots and, and things like that. But I want you to know, as bad as things look on the surface, and they're certainly dark, we still have a sovereign God who is working through the bride, you and I, working through his church to feed the hungry and to share the gospel and to take the gospel all around the world. And isn't it a joy to join hands with fellow believers who would give God's invitation around the world and say, come and drink of the water of life freely. Whosoever will, it makes no difference, race, color, creed, background, ethnicity, wealth, or lack of wealth, everybody can come. God is at work extending his invitation all around the world. I just wish that would make national news some of these days don't you but whether this news cycle ever gets it or not i want you to know it's news in heaven because the bible says there is joy in the presence of the angels of heaven over one sinner who repents one he says who answers god's invitation to be saved so that biblical model is this a person gets off that road that leads to death and they come to god and they get on that road that leads to life they get saved They repent of their sins, they get saved, invite Christ to come to their life. The next step is there to make that public. Because God doesn't have secret agents necessarily, right? Unless they're serving in places where they're in fear for their life and they cannot publicly say that they're a Christian because of the persecution. But God wants us to make our decision to follow him public. And then God asks us to be baptized and the biblical model is baptism by immersion because it is a picture of the death of the old man that is buried and the resurrection of the new man who's going to walk in the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then God asks us to link up, link up with a local congregation of believers so we can invest in what God is doing around the world and we can be part of this bride of Christ, this family of God. So when we stand before God one of these days, that we'll have those crowns that we can take off and we can lay them at the feet of the Lord Jesus. So his invitation is to come. It is an invitation to be saved. But secondly, I want you to note that it is a universal invitation. In verse number 17, I want you to underline the words, whosoever will. Do you see that in verse number 17? Whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. John did not write, whoever has all the answers, let him come, because no one has all the answers. John did not say, Whoever feels like it, let him come. Because we're not saved and our feelings are in our emotions. What was the words that he used? Whosoever will. Where does salvation take place? It takes place in the will of a man or a woman. It is when we willingly say no to self and we willingly invite Christ to come into our lives. You see, John didn't say whosoever has enough money can come. Or whoever lives in poverty can come. All of that is ancillary issues to God. God just simply says, whoever will can come. Whoever will can come. Do you know if if God charged for his salvation? By the way, by the way, salvation's free, uh, but it wasn't cheap, isn't that right? It cost Jesus his life, the best that heaven had. But it is free. God's not selling salvation. If he were to charge. A penny to be saved. There would be people in a world that could not come up with a penny. I've met many of them. There'd be people in this world that could not come up with a penny to purchase it. But salvation's not for sale. John said, Whoever will can come and answer this final invitation. God's gift of eternal life is absolutely free. He gives it as a universal invitation to whosoever will, none too sinful. None too sanctimonious. None uninvited. None with too dark of a background. It is whosoever will. So all of man's eternity hinges on that phrase: "Will I will, or I will not?" Let me show you. Take your Bible. Turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number fourteen, for uh, for a moment. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, let me show you uh, this story uh, that Jesus told. It is a parable, and I want to begin reading in verse number 16. But it beautifully illustrates this uh, concept of whosoever will let him come. Luke's Gospel, chapter uh, 14, look in verse number 16. Then said he to them, now this is the words of Jesus in this parable. A certain man made a great supper, and he invited many he sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were invited, Look at that, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, look at this now, began to make excuse. The first said to him, I bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee, have me excused. Another said, Well, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to test them out, and I pray thee, have me excused. Verse 20, and another said, I've married a wife, therefore I cannot come. Maybe he's the only one that had a valid excuse. No, I'm not going to touch that. But they all had an excuse. No, I've got this to do. I've got that to do. The time is not right. Verse 21. So that servant came and showed his Lord these things. And then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as you have commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said to his servant, Go out to the highways and hedges. Compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men which were invited shall taste of my." supper so the invitation is whosoever will can come but the sad reality is some will not some just will not and if you could ask me if there's anything that keeps me awake at night as a pastor that's what keeps me awake at night that some will not come and I've often wondered why not because I've never met anybody that got saved, that said, I wish I hadn't gotten saved. What do they always say? I wish I'd done it years ago. But there's something that the devil does in a person's life that gets them kind of confused about what this means to be part of God's family. Listen, to be part of God's family, it's just a recognition that without God, that we're hopelessly lost and our lives are forever bankrupt. But God in His mercy sent His Son to intervene on our behalf and to wash away our sins with His blood and invite us to become part of His forever family. And some will, reach, will, will accept that and say, Yes, that's what I want in my life. And others will say no and step out into a Christless eternity because of the choice to either reject or accept God's gift of salvation. Write down Romans chapter 2, verse 4. I want to challenge you to take this passage, put it on your refrigerator. Okay, a place that you frequent often. <laughs> Put it on your mirror in the bathroom. Put it on the dashboard of your car. And remember this passage and commit it to memory. It's Romans 2 4. Listen to what Paul says. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? Now listen, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Here's what Paul is saying. God continually showers us with his grace to get our attention. He showers us with his blessings, and he's waiting and, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for one more to come to him. So Paul says, do you not know that it is the goodness of God and the patience of God that leads you to repentance? Now, I want to test your Bible knowledge. What's the shortest, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? Jesus wept, right? Right? What's the so shortest chapter in the Bible? Somebody said it. Psalm 117. Psalm 117. Turn there with, if, with me if you will. Psalm 117 is the shortest chapter in the Bible. By the way, Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. But Psalm 117, it is the shortest chapter in the Bible. It's only 33 words in our English Bible. 17 words in Hebrew But it's been called the John three sixteen of the Old Testament and it Fascinates me that God uses the shortest Chapter in all the scripture To talk about The biggest deal With the largest subject in all of scripture And that is a word to The nations that everybody is invited Look at what he says Psalm 117 verse 1 Oh praise the Lord All ye nations some translations say Gentiles praise him all Ye people For his merciful kindness is great toward us, and the truth of the Lord endures forever. Praise ye the Lord. Now let me give you something right here that I believe God will use to bless your heart. Psalms 113 through uh, through Psalm 118 is what's known as the Hillel Psalms, meaning they're psalms of praise. All right, psalms of praise. Jewish tradition says that The Jewish people before they would partake of the Passover That they would sing Psalms 113 and Psalm 114 Then they would observe Passover And then following Passover They would sing Psalm 115, 16, 17, and 18 All right? As part of the post-Passover celebration. So, do you remember the night that Jesus had the final supper, the Passover meal with his disciples? He took the bread and as he broke it, he says, this is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup and he says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. Do this as often as you meet in remembrance of me. And then after they took communion or the Lord's Supper, do you remember what the next verse says? They sang a hymn, and they went to the Mount of Olives. The hymn they sang is Psalm 115, 116, 117, and 118. Those Hallel Psalms. And right there as Jesus is moving toward the cross of Calvary, He is singing a song that says God's invitation is universal, that all the nations of the world are invited to come to Him and to praise Him. Isn't that a great thought to know that? That God is merciful, that He is kind, that He is loving, that He is generous. And Jesus was singing about His Father on the way to the cross just before He would be arrested and say God's invitation is for everybody. Everybody to come, whoever will, and drink of the water of life freely. Now, go back to Revelation 22, and we're going to bring this to a close. It is an invitation to be saved, and it is an invitation that is universal. Look in verse number 18. John says, For I testify to every man that hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If any man shall add to these things, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in the book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. In other words, God is simply saying, and I know this is in itself another sermon for another day, but God is saying, This is a completed prophecy now. You don't add to it, you don't take away from it. We could expand on that and say that includes the entirety of the Word of God, perhaps not just the book of Revelation. God is saying, I've made it clear, from Genesis to Revelation, this is the unfolding of the plan of redemption for mankind. Everybody can come. It is a universal invitation. Everybody's invited and everybody's implored to come. And while men is contemplating that, God says, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting with outstretched arms for one more person to come. It is an invitation to be saved. It is a universal invitation. But finally, I want you to note, it is an urgent invitation. An urgent invitation. Look at what he says in verse 20. He which testifies these things says, surely I come quickly. You find it two other times in this chapter. Go to verse number 7. Behold, I come quickly. Verse 12. Behold, I come quickly. Do you see the urgency of this thought of don't mess around with where you're going to spend eternity? This is the last gospel call. That word quickly comes from a Greek word. It's ta'o. It's where we get our word, Tachometer. And a tachometer is that gauge inside your car next to your, next to your uh, speedometer. And that tachometer tells you how many rounds per minute your engine is turning. And that's the thought here. I'm coming soon or I'm coming quickly. It's the same word that is used when, when Mary came to the empty tomb. And, and the angel said, why do you seek the living? He is not here. Um, why do you seek to live in among the dead? He's not here uh, Go tell the disciples that he's risen And the Bible says that Mary goes And she quickly goes to tell It's the very same word And it's the thought or the idea of urgency Of moving with urgency So as God gives us one final instruction to John In exile on Patmos Before he closes the book of Revelation He says make it plain one more time That whoever will can come It's universal It's universal But they need to come quickly because, now listen, I don't want to frighten anybody. It's not a frightening concept unless you don't know the Lord. But listen, the Lord could come back at any moment, could he not? Right now he could come back. The Bible says that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And that could happen just like that. But, if the Lord does not come back that way for us in our lifetime as a group of believers, he will come back for us one at a time. Isn't that right? Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place, I will come again. And he may come back for all of us in the rapture, or it may be one at a time. My point is this. We don't know when the rapture is going to happen. And we don't know when our death is going to happen. It could be today for one or the other or for both of those events. So the Lord says to John, don't close the book of Revelation without one more appeal for men to come and to be saved. And they need to do it quickly. I do not know who will be listening to this sermon and watching it either on television or on the internet or listening through it, to it through podcast in days to come or weeks to come. But whoever is listening to my voice this morning, I want you to know that God created you, that God loves you, that God sent Jesus to die for you, and God invites you right now to be saved, and he sent me here to tell you that. And that he's waiting, and he's waiting, and he's waiting. But there is an urgency to make your decision for Christ. Remember the Philippian jailer? He came to Paul and Silas, and he says, What must I do to be saved? And, and Paul said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shall be saved. It's not rocket science. It's turning the wheel to follow God. I want to close with this story. Many of you, if you've been in our church any time very long, you will you will remember this event. It's been a number of years ago now. But I remember it like it was yesterday. It was one of those days, you ever have a day that you just seem so busy that you don't know which way you're going. And I remember it vividly because I had a funeral on Saturday. Then I had preached the three times on Sunday, the three services on Sunday, had a committee meeting that Sunday before the evening service, and it was just a busy time. And then the next day was Monday, and I had to be at the hospital very early with a family, having some serious medical issues early that morning. If I remember correctly, it was about 5.30 when I was down at the hospital that morning. And then it also happened to be the time for the annual associational meeting. And I was preaching that meeting and I was also starting revival in another church in another county that Monday night. So I was to preach the 4 o'clock, I think it was 4 or 4.30, associational meeting, break for dinner. And then they would have the other uh, second half of the associational meeting. And I was going to scoot out and go preach my revival services. So it was one of those days where I was just so busy, I didn't know if I was coming or going. And as I left the church that day, I just remember it's like it was yesterday. Thinking about what I'm preaching about at the 4 or 4.30 service, something like that. And I'm thinking this is about 3 o'clock. And the Lord had said to me, you need to visit so-and-so. I didn't know so-and-so, but they live here in rock-throwing distance of our church. And honestly, you know, I know you guys never wrestle with God, but I was wrestling. And I was giving the Lord every excuse. Lord, I got this, this, and this, and I really don't have time to stop and make that visit. But God just impressed it upon my heart that I needed to do that. Make a long story short, I knocked on the door and introduced myself to this retired couple. Told them I was a pastor here at the church, just wanted to come by, visit with them for a while, invite them to come and worship with us. They were gracious, they invited me into the home, and I had an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And right there that day, the man and his wife knelt in the living room floor beside the couch, and I knelt beside them. And they prayed and they asked Jesus into their life. Isn't that wonderful, by the way? They asked Jesus to come into their life. Well, we talked about making it public, about presenting them to the church for membership and being baptized. And they said, yes, that's what we want to do. We'll do that next Sunday morning. That night, after I'd finished my revival service, I got a phone call from this man's wife. And she said, Pastor, we're still at the hospital. We left to go tell some of our family the good news about us being saved. And she said, My husband had a heart attack. And he's just died. And instead of presenting him to the church Sunday as a member or a candidate for membership and baptism, I was preaching his funeral. On Wednesday. And then his wife did come forward the following Sunday, and she still made her profession public. She got baptized, and she was a member of our church until her passing. But I've thought about that hundreds of times in my ministry. What if I'd have been so stubborn that I just kept going that day and didn't listen to God? When God was working in that man's life, and Jesus would say, "Daryl, the fields are ripe to harvest. Where's the laborers that'll go? And I'm so glad that I went that day. And I know I've missed others, but I'm so glad that I went that day. Because listen, the invitation is urgent. Now's the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Amen, church? I know we don't have the crowds that we ordinarily have because of COVID. But I don't want to take it for granted. There may be one here Or one under the sound of my voice somewhere else that's never been saved. Today, would you come? You ask Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Come into my life and save me. And the Bible says, whosoever will, right, can come and drink of the water of life freely. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for being so wonderful to us. Thank you for that final invitation. Before you close the Bible... You say you can still come, and there's still time. So, Lord, as we have this invitation, if there's one today that has never invited Christ into their lives, I pray that today they would just slip out of their seat. They would come right now and say, Pastor Daryl, I want to be saved this morning. Or others who want to unite with our church family, take the invitation and do as you please. In Jesus' name, amen.